have you ever had a conversation with someone which leaves you so insanely inspired yet absolutely terrified? Well, that's what happened to me today when I talked to Rebecca, who's the director of Marine Diaries. She's a marine biologist and someone who has been eagerly working to make science more accessible to the general public. We chat about the issues of science communication and scientific papers and how hard it is to get them. We talk about various biodegradable items and the misconceptions that people have about sustainability. Then we talk about the biggest thing, in her opinion, that is the danger facing our oceans, which is the carbon footprint of humans and humanity in general, which is where it gets really dark and scary. We talk about what the oceans might look like in 2050 and what solutions we can create right now to help the problems our oceans are facing. If you enjoyed this episode or any of the previous episodes, it would mean the world to me if you could leave a comment, a share, a subscribe, any of that stuff, as well as let me know your thoughts on the Ocean Pancake podcast website or the Facebook group. So join in there where there are many other ocean warriors and ocean lovers who talk about conservation and sustainability. You can also join the tribe by getting yourself a Plastic is the Killer t-shirt from which proceeds help me to continue doing this work. You can also donate or become a Patreon and just help create a better world for our oceans through education and communication. Every day there's a new news story about the crisis facing our ocean. Whether it's the plastic issue, overfishing, pollution, if the oceans die, we die. Fortunately, we have plenty of environmental activists, marine conservationists, and eco-warriors who are out there every day fighting to protect our oceans and our Earth. On the Ocean Pancake podcast, we're going to be hearing from some of them about how to decrease our environmental footprint, go plastic-free, participate in ocean conservation, cleanups, and even maybe some marine science. So, welcome to the Ocean Pancake podcast, where the goal is sustainability and living a turquoise life. My name is Kat Andreskova, and I'm your host today. Let's get into this week's episode. Hi. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Ocean Pancake Podcast. Today I am joined by Rebecca, who is a marine biologist and the co-founder of Marine Diaries. So welcome, Rebecca. Hi. (laughs) It's lovely to have you on board, and I've been checking out the Marine Diaries website for a couple of months now, and I love the work you guys do. So before we get into the rest of the podcast, could you give us a little bit of an introduction on your background and, yeah. Sure. Um, so I um, am a marine biologist. I did a master's in tropical marine biology, um, and during that time, I um, I set up the Marine Diaries uh, with two of my other friends from the same course. Uh, So Maddie was the founder, um, it was her idea to to kind of um, set it up. And then it's kind of just grown from there over the past two years. Um, So it was originally just the three of us kind of putting out blog content and doing the social media and stuff like that. Um, And then we've kind of expanded now. So... We have a team of editors, um, around six editors, a social media manager, a graphic designer. um, And it's just kind of slowly snowballed um, into what it is today. Um, We used to be on a different website and we've transferred over. So we had a bit of a rehaul. um, And there's lots of exciting things um, going on 
and hopefully happening in the future. Oh, that sounds great. So what I, what my understanding is of the Marine Diaries is basically there's so much information happening and so much research happening in the marine biology and marine science field. And then there is also all these people at the forefront, you know, sharing beautiful photos of our oceans and the, the troubles that our oceans are facing. And there's very little kind of connection between science and communications. And that's kind of what Marine Diaries is trying to bridge. Is that yeah, yeah, definitely. So, so basically, <laughs> one of one of the main problems with science in general and scientific research is that it's so inaccessible to, um, well, the general public, but also other scientists. There's not a lot of um, overlap. People don't speak to each other. You, you have to pay to access quite a lot of scientific papers. Um, even I can't access some of them, um, although it's a very very good website called SciHub. Um, I would recommend you use that because that is um, basically gives you access to quite a lot of papers for free. Um, but yeah, so basically, unless you're an expert in whatever kind of paper you're reading, um, be it you know behavioral ecology or microplastics or whatever, you, you're not really going to understand the majority of the paper. You might understand the abstract and maybe the conclusions. Um, or you'd have to do a hell of a lot of Googling to actually understand what's going on. Um, so that's kind of what, what we're trying to combat by making all of the science easy to understand for anyone um, or anyone that's kind of generally interested in the oceans um, and make it kind of more engaging. So it's not just stats or, you know, results and things like that and kind of explain what it actually means. Mm -hmm. um, and then one of the other things that we're trying to kind of, you know, combat as well is that um, there's such a delay in when scientific research gets published and when it actually kind of makes it into the general media. Um, so loads of the information that's been going around about plastics at the moment, um, you know, that's kind of been known for years. Um, some of the stuff that's, um, you know, been discovered recently has actually been known in the scientific community for you know five years um and people are only like the general public are only really starting to know about it now um so that's the kind of two things we're trying to trying to solve i guess uh with the marine diaries oh that's fantastic because i know how frustrated like i get because i used to get free access to papers or not really free but while at university so i spent a lot yeah. of my time at the library looking papers up and since graduating, it's, it's been one of my biggest frustrations is now if I ever do want to read a scientific paper, which I love doing because I'm a big nerd, <laughs> I can't get yeah. access to it. So thank you for SciHub. Is it SciHub.com.org? It, it, um, it changes, like the end of it changes because it's actually a pirate website. But, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> SCI-hub. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, I used it even when I was at uni, um, loads of people use it. It's, it's brilliant. So that's great. So we literally have to pirate scientific papers and scientific research. Yes, <laughs> in order to educate people and um, make it more accessible. I mean, hopefully in the future, um, you know, people will put out their research for free, but then it's, it's the problem with 
there's there's such a thing in, in science it's like who's gonna get published first and who's gonna publish in a like more impact paper and it's just mm -hmm. that kind of community I guess um so it's quite a hard thing to to solve really I I also read somewhere about the reasoning behind using so much specific jargon in terms of the scientific papers and it is almost to kind of separate the community um from the other people who may not be in it you know in, really? in terms of yeah like almost like an elitist thing where people kind of throw in as much as they can so many specific people who do have the background knowledge are able to like decipher it um have you heard? That's just that's just, that's just not right like <laughs> i should be about you know explaining stuff to everyone and making sure like everyone's kind of interested or um you know it, it's just like fascinating why would you want to make it inaccessible i don't i just don't understand that I'm, I'm not sure but i really like the main quote you guys have on um, your front page of the marine diaries which is nothing in science has any value to society if it's not communicated so yeah. i think that's a really good kind of summary of what the marine diaries is doing also absolutely terrifying that like you've known about the plastic issues, not you personally, but like the scientific yeah. industry has known about these things for so many years, yet we're just finding out in the past two kind of thing. Yeah. Wow. So what- I guess it kind of depends on what the, you know, the public interest is. So before, you know, all these tabloids and stuff might not have communicated it because they wouldn't have thought that anyone would be interested. Whereas now people are started kind of, you know, um, trying to be more sustainable, kind of asking a few more questions, demanding a bit more of businesses. And now it's kind of more relevant to, to kind of publish this kind of stuff. That's true. We have been seeing a big global shift in terms of more green movements, but now we also have the trouble of greenwashing where yes. a lot of companies are now saying they're green while in reality, Mm. not so much yeah that's one of my um big pet hates so I regularly write to quite a lot of different businesses and um you know I'm like oh do you have any proof of this or um could I could I see your certification for you know like biodegradability and they're like everything is on our website and I'm like well it's not on your website so can you give me it and they're like everything is on our website and I'm like okay right not gonna buy from you then <laughs> it's just yeah it's so obvious but I mean if you don't ask the question or if you don't have you know a degree of doubt then you just kind of buy into all this marketing um, mm -hmm. and greenwashing and it is so easy to do I mean I um I gave a speech at a um a zoo in Colchester um, which is kind of in, es in Essex in England and um they were they were like oh, can you give a speech on plastics? And I was like, yeah, sure. And then we went around the zoo and they had these um, biodegradable plastics. And I was like, um, did you know that these are actually really bad? And they were like, oh no, they're really good. And I was like, no, they're not. I'm telling you now that they're really bad um, because they're not actually biodegradable um, and you can't recycle them and this, that and the other. And they were like, oh, but it's better than, it's better than normal plastics. And I was like, no, it's, it's not better than normal plastics. <laughs> And like that, that's the problem. All of these kind of well-meaning organizations or businesses are making all these swaps because they've seen, they've seen that people want 
something better and their customers are asking, you know, we don't want this anymore. Can you give us something else? And then they've seen another business being like, we're green and eco, you can buy our stuff. And they're like, great, great, solution solved. But they don't like delve into anything. They don't, they don't check. Um, and that's, I think, where the downfall is. Oh, definitely. How would, what, what would you recommend for the general public or people who are listening to this, for example, to do, to check whether a business is greenwashing or actually is moving towards sustainable? Um, so I'd say that one of the main things to do is check their website. Um, a lot of websites that are actually trying to do good will have, you know, a kind of section that's all about either their sustainability, what they do in terms of their like supply chain, their deliveries. Um, you know, they might also be partnered with, um, something like B, B, uh, I think it's B corporation or 1% for the planet. Um, and things like that. So they're always good things to look for. But another thing is if, if you ever have a doubt, just email in and it becomes very obvious when they're not kind of sincere. Um, and you get basically a very vague email answer, either an automated one or one that comes from someone and they basically just repeat what's on their website and don't give you any extra information. Um, so for example, one I, uh, emailed about was bioglitter and they were actually amazing they like they emailed back and they were like you know we're not perfect this bit is um you know th this brand this section of our brand is not completely biodegradable these are our certifications but we've just brought out you know bioglitter pure which is blah 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 and then i was like okay this is a good company they actually are being completely honest transparent they know what they're talking about and that is the kind of thing that you're looking for in a reply um so yeah just ask questions and always just do not kind of don't just accept what people are telling you or what these marketing um marketing machines are telling you and just always kind of question it and have a bit of doubt i think in the back of your mind yeah i think that's some good advice i like i definitely like emailing most of the companies i buy from i don't usually buy things anymore <laughs> in general i try and do this yeah, <laughs> second hand option route but when i do need to buy something new i do spend some time emailing and finding out and I actually do have a whole list of like companies I've actually vetted <laughs> on my website so if anyone's curious you can check those out but it's always hard because as you said the supply chain and then like th there's so many different aspects <clears throat> where they may be using you know sustainable materials but then their packaging is not fully biodegradable yeah or then they use this biodegradable packaging that you're mentioning, um, which is yeah. massive right now. And I like to bring this up in almost every podcast when it does come up, which is why is this biodegradable packaging actually bad? Can you tell us as an expert who's like done work with this? So why is biodegradable not a good option to replace plastic? So basically, um, in summary, that the biodegrade most biodegradable plastics are made from something called PLA, which is polylactic acid. Um, so this can be made from like plant-based materials. Um, so a lot of companies you'll see will say, our packaging is made from corn or tapioca or eucalyptus. And that you'd think, oh amazing, that made from plants, great. But they basically make it into something which looks like plastic, acts like plastic. Um, and 
technically should be commercially compostable. So they've done uh, supposedly tests, um, which mean that in a commercial compost uh, where it's aerated, heated up to really high temperature, maybe like 50 to 60 degrees, um, it should biodegrade in six, six months to a year or two years. Um, but there's recently been some kind of um, a few posts about people that have seen this plastic go into commercial compost and after six months it's come out exactly the same. And the problem with them is that people think, oh, it's biodegradable. So if I put it in the bin, it'll go to landfill and it'll biodegrade. Or if it goes into the ocean, it'll biodegrade. But that's not true. It's only compostable under these certain conditions or even not under these conditions as we're trying, as we're finding out now. Um, so I think the problem with it as well is that it kind of contributes more to a throwaway society um, because you think, oh, it's, it's fine. It's, you know, it's biodegradable. And then the other issue with PLA is that it can't, because it looks exactly the same as um, pet plastic. Um, it can't be separated in recycling facilities. So basically what happens is people, people don't know it's a biodegradable plastic they put it in the recycling um well-intentioned of course but then it contaminates all of the pet plastic recycling um, and downgrades that um their value so then you're actually having a worse effect um by using these biodegradable plastics um there's a whole article on it um on our website under campaign um and it's called, uh, let me just have a look, what's it called? Um, I'll make sure to include it in the show notes of this podcast. Okay. So I'll include any links to, to the things that you talk about because I didn't actually know about the contamination aspect, but I guess that makes sense because I know one of the reasons you shouldn't recycle like used pizza boxes is because the grease contaminates the Yeah, exactly, so it's similar to that. Um, yes, yeah, so there's actually two articles. One is called Biodegradable Plastics, Dispelling the Myths, and the mm -hmm. other one is The Real Meaning of Biodegradable. Um, so if you're interested in um, finding out more about that, then uh, definitely read those two. Definitely. I'll make sure to check that out and send people that way because it's, it's definitely one of the things that keeps coming up. And even now, like on my Instagram and Facebook, I get the ads for it, you know, like, oh, this new biodegradable... Mm. Oh. Tupperware yeah. or cutlery or anything and um, I think it's really important what you touched upon in terms of it contributing to a throwaway society because I think the reason we are in this mess is because we've moved more towards convenience rather yeah. than sustainability so it's it's going yeah. to take more than just creating alternatives to these plastics but also a, a shift in how humans use things yeah, we need a, a whole behavioural change, really, um, yeah. in the way that we live our lives, consume things, produce things. It's going to take a while, but I think hopefully it will happen soon. Well, I, I love that we've had this enormous chat and we haven't even gotten to question two. So I love these podcasts when we just go on to tangents. So I, I, think, I think we've touched upon this. Um, so far, but what do you think is kind of like the biggest issue facing our ocean? So is it is it the lack of communication, the lack of knowledge? Is it these plastics? <laughs> what do you think it is? 
I, I wouldn't say, um, as much as I've done a lot with plastics, I wouldn't say that, that it, they are the biggest mm -hmm. threat to our oceans right now. They are a massive problem, but I think, um, you know, our carbon footprint is going to be the, the biggest threat um, worldwide, including our oceans, um, because basically the oceans ca capture like 30% of our current emissions. Um, which is obviously contributing to um, the warming of the oceans, um, which is going to have massive effects. And it already is having massive effects in terms of like coral bleaching, uh, which is now like five times more frequent than it was 40 years ago. Um, and most reefs are bleaching every single year, and that's just not giving them enough time to recover. Um, so coral reefs are like, insanely important for marine life. They support an estimated 25% um, of all marine life so that they act as nurseries um, for fisheries. Um, they're massive carbon sinks. Um, they provide basically an oasis in a desert of um, not very much nutrients in the tropics, um, but they're basically predicted to be wiped out by 2050. So um, it's not great. Um, and in terms of warming warming the oceans um there's been kind of massive movement um of many species towards the poles um and this is obviously going to cause massive ecological shifts you're going to get new species in different environments um that's going to affect predator prey um you know interactions it's going to competition it's going to introduce new diseases into different environments where they weren't there before um, and yeah there's just a whole host of effects that we can't really predict with enough kind of accuracy to figure out what's going to happen um, I'd say the, the main thing that I know for sure is that the oceans are never going to look the same as they do today in the future like they they will be completely different um whether or not they're still you know healthy and functioning i would say probably probably not depending on our carbon projections but um yeah it's difficult and then the the other issue with carbon uh with global warming sorry is there's so many kind of positive feedback effects so a lot of people talk about um, you know, we have to do something now because otherwise, like, something, you know, we're going to hit a kind of boundary where we're not going to be able to come back from it. Um, and that's due to the effects of um, things like the ice caps melting, um, which will reduce the albedo. Um, so basically, the ice caps reflect a lot of the sunlight. Um, and this means that, you know, they kind of contribute to cooling of the planet slightly. But as they're melting, um, it's exposing all of this dark land, which which absorbs more heat. Um, so that's one of the positive feedback effects. Um, and then the other one will be that basically the oceans are obviously absorbing quite a lot of our carbon dioxide emissions. Um, and as they get warmer, they will actually absorb less. So we'll have more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and then that will contribute to even more warming. So in a nutshell, it's, you know, we've got to do something rapidly. Um, 
otherwise we're going to get into this kind of runaway system where we're just getting the planet's getting hotter and hotter and hotter and more uninhabitable um and that is going to have a knock-on effect and not only the oceans but you know land people um and everything really i'm kind of stunned in the silence <laughs> it's, it is it's, depressing it is it is more than depressing but it's hard as well when you're working in this field and you you know you think about this every day but really having it spelled out like that i'm just even trying to imagine what the oceans will look like in 10, 15 years. And I, I can't, like, I don't know what to expect or what we're going to be seeing if we do continue diving and I don't know. I know it's hard because I, I want to like, I want to reduce my carbon emissions by flying less, but also I kind of want to see the oceans before everything dies. So I'm like, what do I do? Do I oh, exactly. go exactly. all the way to Australia and see the Great Barrier Reef? Or what do I do? Well, I'm, I'm over here and I, I, the first time I saw the Great Barrier Reef was in 2008. And then I saw it again in 2010. And it was already so much worse off than it was in those two yeah. years. The, the, the bleaching was already prevalent there. And there was so much more rubble and just destruction. And now... Um, I go back as often as I can, and I just see it really getting a bit more <laughs> destroyed. Well, they've just declared, haven't they? They've just declared, I think, that um, they've, they've just gone from poor to very poor in terms of their condition. Yeah, the outlook. Um, I, I believe this was in response to a recent um, report that was written up in terms of the water quality based off of... Okay. Uh, a lot of the runoff that is leaving the Queensland coast to the reefs. And the, the big issue with this is all the farming is right on the coast and there's very minimal like natural vegetation in between the farms and the monocultures, which depend very heavily on you know, pesticides and um, uh, all those things. And then because it's just these massive cane fields, for example, all the runoff is then getting into the creeks and rivers, really high amounts of nitrogen are then going into the, the reef catchment areas, and that is stunting the growth of the roots in the bays, which means less can absorb, less, less seagrass is growing, therefore less carbon is being absorbed, but it's also essentially going to wipe out all the um, dugongs here because they depend on the seagrass and it's also apparently um, related to the amount of crown of thorns which I'm sure you've heard about but now there's massive plagues all up and down the coast and I, I actually am going to have a guest who works on a boat which their only job is to go up and down the Great Barrier Reef and to kill crown of thorns boats uh that crown of thorns starfish so um <laughs> Yeah, it's not great, <laughs> honestly. And um, no, I know what you mean in terms of the like you want to fly and see it, but then again, you don't want to increase your carbon footprint. Uh, we we have yeah, these discussions at home a lot because we we go out on the boat and we go diving, and it's like, well, that's an enormous carbon emission in in our household, you know. Um, so today we went snorkeling off the shore. <laughs> nice positive change I think, 
Yeah, I was. I went to a talk recently um, about uh, climate change, and it was actually basically a guy who'd, who'd written a book um, about eating meat and stuff like that. And he kind of raised a lot of points about how, you know, we we all kind of know what's going on, and we know that we need to do stuff and like change change our kind of consumption and change our behavior but it's so hard to kind of as a human being to sacrifice what you want to do now for something that you know you know about but you might not necessarily have experienced anything you know relating to climate change you it, it could happen in next year it could happen in 10 years it's so hard to make those kind of short-term sacrifices for something in the long term, especially when you don't really know whether anyone else is going to make these sacrifices. Like if you make them, will it be enough? And that, if you problem. don't make them now, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like kind of tragedy of the commons really, isn't it? But yeah, um, it's like, oh, well, my neighbors actually, are still doing all those things. Yeah. So like, why should I like give up my boat if everyone else is using theirs? Like it's not going to make such a big difference. <laughs> Yeah, I guess one thing is yeah, leading by example, and hopefully, the more people who just do second. that, the more it, it will it kind of catch on a little bit. Could you just say, oh, okay. leading by example? Um, yeah, I guess I guess you got to lead by example. So um, the more people who you know change change ways, the more people who might kind of see that and and find it admirable or think, oh, actually, maybe I should be doing something, and then it catches on. Um, yeah. yeah. So, what would you suggest for people to do to kind of help decrease their carbon emissions? All the classic ones. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, one thing would be to eat less fish and meat um because that has and dairy they all have massive carbon footprints um and it doesn't mean that you have to become a vegan overnight it just means being more aware of how much you consume maybe having you know half a week or a few days each week every other day where you don't have dairy or you don't have meat or you don't have fish and by doing it that way it's less restrictive and you're more likely to stick with it it's also a lot cheaper, better for your health. Um, there's so many advantages to eating less meat, fish and dairy. Um, and the other big thing is flying less. Um, but I mean, I'm such a hypocrite because I've literally flown so many times this year and I hate myself. But um, it's just, yeah, it's, it's something to be aware of, I guess. I would say um, just try and educate yourself more about how you are having an impact on the planet directly from your choices so it might be you know buying less clothes or buying clothes that are only second hand um because that also has a massive carbon footprint um or trying to kind of cut down on um you know the amount of single-use plastic you use um which also has a very big carbon footprint and has all these other problems as well um and yeah, I just, it's, it's difficult because although governments and kind of businesses have probably the biggest carbon emissions, um, there's also massive, massive um, impact by collectively us all changing our consumption patterns. Um, so I'm a huge believer in like individual choices having a massive impact. 
Um, I mean, there's like 7.5 billion of us. So if we all decided to eat less meat, eat less dairy, eat less fish, um, maybe fly a few times less um, each year, produce less waste, we'd kind of have a massive impact really quickly. Um, and by doing all of those things, you're changing demand in the marketplace. And that's, I think, much more effective and much quicker than it is uh, for government policies um, to take effect or sanctions or subsidies because governments, they, it just takes so long for a new law to be passed or for them to discuss, oh, should we do this or shouldn't we do this? And they're like, hmm, I don't know. And then by that time, it's too late. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, I guess just, just being more aware um, looking at where your food comes from, where your the products you're buying coming from, um, and yeah, trying to generally just produce less carbon. There's actually, I think, a few really good websites that you can go on and check, um, and you can type in, you know, what you eat and how many times you fly, how you get to work, and stuff like that. And it tells you, it tells you um, where your biggest carbon emissions come from in your daily life. Um, and that is where you should be targeting um, to try and reduce them. Yeah, we'll include those links as well on the show notes for this podcast episode. I uh, quite recently actually did the WWF one um, for how many planets it would take if everyone lived like me. And now I try very hard. I am vegan or I've tried to be vegan for the past three years as much as I can sustainability is the way forward. I don't buy new items. I um, opt for not using air conditioning when I can. I like to, to walk or carpool, use public transport. I didn't own a car for about two years. You know, I doing all these things and I felt really proud of myself and I inputted all my data. And yeah, I think, I think it was like 1.6 planets if everyone lived like me. So, That's pretty good. I think. <laughs> but it's still not good enough. That's the thing. It's yeah. Even, even when we're trying, or even when I'm trying, like, I'm still a long way off um, something actually sustainable for our planet. So it just shows how difficult it is just in terms of how we're used to living in our day-to-day -day lives to actually yeah. make those changes. <laughs> I mean, the, the main problem, I think, is this, there's just too many of us. Yeah, yeah, that's a whole separate issue, the overpopulation, yeah. but what, what, we can't be Thanos or something like that, like that's not, no. <laughs> that's not acceptable, so, although I did enjoy all the David Attenborough memes about him with the, with the glove of Thanos, because he was saying that yeah. there's just too many people, and if David <laughs> says it, you know, it's fine, right? It must be true, <laughs> yeah. Wow. So we, we completely went on a few different topics there and it's, I'm feeling inspired by the work you guys are doing at Marine Diaries, but also a little bit depressed about the future of our oceans. Um, but luckily there are so many wonderful people who are putting time and effort to create positive change. And I love your platform and I think plenty of people would want to get involved. And I see that you actually have opportunities for people to get involved. So can you, Tell us a bit more about how can people be ocean advocates or tell their marine stories. 
Um, yeah, so we're always kind of looking for people to submit um, guest blogs to us. Um, that can be within any of our main series. Um, so we have a couple of them that you can find on our website um, under the get involved section. Um, and or, or you can submit something that's more general um, about diving, ecotourism or just ocean conservation or you want to share your personal story. That's also fine. Um, and basically you can you could submit an article to us once you can set up your own mini series if you'd like there was um a girl i think um last year um kind of when we were first starting out he wanted to do a few different blogs on mangroves mm -hmm. um and that's like something that we really like because it kind of gives you a bit of um a bit more exposure a bit more cont continuity in the blogs um or you can um, send submissions to us regularly, um, every month, every couple of months. Um, we're always looking for kind of new content. Um, we do have editors who uh, write their own articles, but we mainly like to publish stuff from um, guests because we're all about kind of sharing what other people are doing to kind of help. Um, and if you don't feel like writing you can be interviewed um so most of our interviews are just written um but if you'd like to be interviewed on skype that's also possible um another thing we do is that we like to feature individuals and organizations um through twitter and instagram story takeovers um so basically this involves um one day where you get to log into our account um, and you can share um, basically anything you want about the work that you're doing, the research you're doing, um, you know, something about your organization. Um, so if you want to get involved with that, you can email media at themarinediaries.com or fill out the form on our website. Um, if you're a keen photographer or videographer, um, we always kind of are looking for photos to include in our blog um, and on our social media sites. So if you want to get a bit of exposure and you have some really nice um, high quality photos, um, then that's another way to get involved. Um, we're kind of in the process at the moment of creating um, some short info videos, which will kind of explain different species, different topics. Um, so if you have underwater footage, um, please get in touch. Um, we'd love to use it. Um, and kind of finally, our team is always expanding. So um, we're on the hunt at the moment for new editors, a social media assistant, um, an administration assistant and a graphic designer. Um, and we're also kind of open to hosting short internships if anyone's looking to gain additional experience uh, working for an online nonprofit. Um, all these positions are voluntary. Um, I'll just add that in now, um, just so. <laughs> everyone knows we all work on a voluntary basis um i have a full-time job as well as doing marine diaries and everyone else kind of is either a student or has a full-time job as well um we currently don't have an income stream so there's no kind of financial remuneration for any blogs any videos anything that um is kind of submitted to us um and hopefully that will change in the future but um, at the moment, yeah, we just do it out of our love for the ocean. Um, and then in the near future, I'm hoping to implement an ambassador scheme. Um, so stay tuned for that. Oh, for sure, we definitely will.
Um, you guys have so much fantastic content on the website. So I'm looking forward to seeing how it grows and how you help make science a bit more accessible to the general public. So we have more information to deal with the potential catastrophe that's coming. <laughs> I don't know. We have to make jokes and laugh because it is very serious and very scary out there. So I'm just glad how many people like you there are out there working together. And most, unfortunately, most work in marine conservation and sustainability is voluntary. Um, I do have a few podcasts about this topic. If you do want to get work in marine conservation, it is also possible. But to start off with, you have to um, actually invest into yourself. And a great way is to participate in projects like these, like the Marine Diaries, get that on your CV, get some experience, talk to people who are like you. So thank you so much, Rebecca, for kind of helping us out with um giving people the opportunity to share their stories potentially. Um, and I am sure I'll have you back on the podcast maybe in the next couple months if some really exciting research comes out and we need some explaining. Um, some yeah, for sure. Communication. Happy, to, happy to, to discuss, you know, any kind of topics if you need something explaining, um, like, you know, fishing or um, plastics or just anything um would be very happy to come back and kind of spell out some of the stuff that people might be confused about um i'll try and do my best that could actually be really fun we could start our own mini series on here where you just we can do little short ones explaining various misconceptions just i feel like there's a lot of misconceptions about like the past yeah yeah all right ideas our ideas are happening all right great <laughs> thank you so much rebecca and i'm sure we'll chat soon thank you very much um it's been a pleasure once again thank you so much for being here with me today rebecca i truly appreciate it i learned so much and i'm looking forward to many upcoming episodes together where hopefully we can communicate better with people and help people learn how to protect our oceans. Uh, as always, it was lovely to have you here. And if you guys know anyone that you'd like me to chat to, interview, let me know. Send me an email, oceanpancakepodcast at gmail.com. Also, massive thanks to Graham Mose, who is the mind behind the awesome jams and beats that you hear in this episode. He lives in Brisbane, so if you guys want to see him live, make sure to check him out. Graham Mose Music. And I'll see you guys in the next episode.